0: Morning, y'all. Morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Turn me down a little bit back there, Cam. Welcome to Grace Bible. I'm glad to see y'all. And y'all weathered what we were expecting perhaps to be a bit of a storm. Doesn't look too bad out there yet. Uh, hopefully it won't, uh, it won't get too windy while you guys are in here. But uh, welcome to you guys here in person. Welcome to everybody watching online uh, on our different platforms. If you're uh, on YouTube, Facebook, or the website, hello to y'all. Um, and hey, if you're on YouTube, do us a favor and click the subscribe button. That way you can become a part of the regular rendering of our videos and such as we send those out there. But what's up, y'all? I'm going to be honest with you. The 830 service was a little slack. They were kind of quiet. I'm going to need some participation. I've done told y'all I've been talking to a camera for months. Now I need real live people interaction while we're having these conversations. If you have your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, um, If you have missed the conversations leading up to this one, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. They're always on our website. You can find them or on our YouTube channel. Um, This is important, particularly we're turning a bit of a corner in the book of 1 Peter. Um, And that corner is Peter just has been telling us about who God is and what God has done for us and who we are as a result of that. And now he's about to get all up in our business and tell us how we should rightly respond as a kingdom people to the things that are happening in the world around us. Um, when we plan this out, this was not planned based on current events. This is one reason why we preach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through whole books of the Bible most of the time. Because we want to make sure things stay in context. context and I don't get to cherry pick what the topics are. The word of God decides that and we just have to talk about them. And... I have the difficult job of translating the words of God into the language of you guys, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to translate it even deeper so that it affects your heart and just not your head. Um, You have the difficult job of reconciling what I'm telling you and what the Word of God is saying in your relationship with the Lord. Um, My goal is not that you become followers of Dustin because I will lead you astray, and I come with a guarantee that the longer you know me, the more I will disappoint you. But King Jesus is worth following. His word is timeless and true. And though he may not always do the things when you want it done or how you want it done, he will never let you down. The whole process of being a follower of Jesus and discipleship is not us getting more of him. We got all of him the day that we said yes to Jesus. It's you learning how to give up more of you. That's what discipleship's all about. Today, in the conversation we're about to have, uh, for some of you, the Word of God is about to ask you to give up something you've been holding on to for a long time that you aren't going to want to give up. You're going to be mad at me. And I'm so glad for those of you that are here in person for this particular conversation because you can't flip the channel or turn me off. And you people at home, you can't either, okay? You got to stay tuned all the way through the whole ride this morning. These folks are stuck with me. All right, You don't get the option of flipping over to the next channel. This is is not going to be an easy conversation for some of you to swallow. I've been looking forward to this all week. As a matter of fact, just in case the storm got bad, I went ahead and pre-recorded this sermon um, to make sure that we had it, but I said right at the beginning of the recording, man, I hope you all never see this video because that means we couldn't have this conversation in person. This is one of those we need to have this conversation as human beings in person and as followers of Christ for those of you that are. I recognize that not all of you are. All right, you are welcome here as well. Um, this is one of those weeks where I am aiming right between the eyes of Christ followers. There's something that they need to understand according to God's word that he is calling them to. Um, so with that said, I told you guys that we were eventually going to get into a point of our conversation through First Peter, uh, through his letter that he was writing to first century Christians, that some of the stuff that he was going to say is going to rub against the grain of what you feel comfortable with. Um, because quite honestly, the message that the world around you is trying to cram down your throat is different. The word of God oftentimes rubs against the grain of what's comfortable, but that's, that's what makes it the word of God. Um, We are living in a society of people that are honestly aiming to be the God of their own circles, the king of their own world. But the word of God is not about gaining more. It's about laying down. It's about surrendering. It's about inviting us to bring it all before King Jesus, giving it back to the one that gave it to us to begin with, our pride, our dispositions, our stuff. And this is one of those areas some of y'all are going to have to lay something down this morning. I've been praying and trusting that the Lord would lead you to do so. Um, One reason why this conversation is going to be so difficult, by the way, I usually don't sit down up here uh, when I'm preaching by myself, but I am today because one of our air conditioners is out over there. That's why some of y'all are a little warm this morning, and I've got one more service after this. I need to conserve just a little bit in the tank. Okay. Um, One reason why this particular conversation is going to be a bit difficult uh, for some of you this morning, many of you this morning, is because we are a product of a rebellious, contrarian society, all right? That has just poured toxicity into our brains and convinced us that if we aren't resisting something, then we aren't doing our part as human beings. You hear what I'm saying? We live in a society where What you stand against is held at a higher place of value than what you stand for. And society has actually taught you how to stand against things but not how to stand for things. The church, we've taken that bait. I I wish I could say that it was just the world out there. But no, it's found its way into our churches. It's found its way into our pulpits. It's found its way into our sermons, to where even this morning, all over the world, sermons will be preached that drip with the venom of divisiveness and hate. And they'll swing their fists and everybody will say amen as if it was the actual word of God, but it's not. Whole churches around the globe have been built not on the word of God, but built around the prejudices of their pastor. They come and go and they choose a church to belong with based on the prejudices of the church, of all different types, instead of on the actual word of God. Now, I would, I would venture to say, like I told you, this is going to be a hard conversation to swallow. I would venture to say that some of you grew up in those churches. Some of you may have come from those churches. As a matter of fact, how do you know that this isn't one of those How do you know that you haven't just naturally gravitated toward me as the primary communicating pastor of this church because you agree with my prejudices and the way that I see the world? How do you know? I don't want to be that place. We truly want to be a place that's spirit-led and based on the Word of God and not based on my opinions how I feel about things, my rants about this, that, and the other. This is one reason why we teach through whole books of the Bible at a time because I want to hand you the full context of the conversation. I want you to hold up everything that I'm saying against the word of God and reconcile that in your heart to make sure that what's coming out of my mouth is actually what the word of God says so that we feel about things the way that the Lord feels about things instead of the way that I feel about them. And I tell you, we have elders in our church and pastors that hold me accountable to that to make sure that the things that I'm spewing out of my mouth are right and good and true. But this is a, I'm calling you up as a church family to make sure you're doing the same thing. So that when we hear hard things in the scriptures, and we've reconciled the fact that, well, this is what God's word says, and even though it may be uncomfortable, we're going to walk in faithfulness to that, that you know it's the voice of the Lord and not the voice of Dustin. I don't care whether you agree with me or not. My job is to present the Word of God to you the best way that I can so that you can understand it, translate it into your context, and then you decide. You take those truths and those principles, and you bring them into your relationship with the Lord, and you reconcile and grapple with those, and you learn how to walk in obedience uh, with those truths. Today's going to be one of those sweet conversations, but let me just give it the backdrop of this. God, in His Word, has never called His people to compliance, all right? Say, compliance. God has never called his people into a compliance, all right? For those of you that think the Bible is just one long rule book, you've, like, missed the whole point of the love letter and the love story that this is. God has never called his people into compliance, all right? Compliance, all right, compliance is motivated out of obligation, okay? God calls us into worship. While compliance is motivated out of obligation, worship is motivated by adoration, so God has spent more of the scriptures showing us who he is and what he's done for us. The extent of his love, just how far he would run to come after us. The sacrifices that he made so that we could be in relationship with him. Like most of the word of God is a declaration of his faithfulness to us. Some of the word of God is how we are to respond rightly to that. But he outweighs that by his faithfulness so that our faithfulness wouldn't be as a result of obligation but adoration, that we would worship and love the God that so deeply and dearly and madly loves us. So when he calls us into obedience and the hard stuff, he doesn't want your compliance. He wants your worship. He wants you to worship through the hard stuff and do the thing that's uncomfortable because you are so in love with the Father. And for what he has done for us. This may be one of those days for, one of, for some, of, some of you guys in this conversation. And so let's just jump into the conversation here we are in the middle of 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13, and it says this. Be subject, or that word subject means submissive. Some of y'all don't even like that word. Be submissive for, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So in other words, every, every institutional thing that's been set up for people, all right? He gives you an example of what that looks like. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, which you don't have an emperor, but we have Three branches of government, essentially the emperor being whatever, whatever your highest level of government is in your society. Be subject, submissive to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That sounds fun. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That word servants is the Greek word doulos, which means slaves. Living as free people, but yet slaves to God. Not using our freedom to cover up our evil. And then he says, and you need to underline this, honor everyone, verse 17. You don't have to agree with everyone. Everyone ain't right. But honor everyone. Tribe, tongue, creed, skin color, sexual disposition, political party, whatever. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. He's talking about specifically the body of Christ right there. Fear God and honor the emperor. Now, servants, there it is, doulos, slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. That's interesting. Not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the unjust masters. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, underline that, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Told y'all this might be a little bit uncomfortable. We're getting to some of the tough parts of the book here. Primarily, this one is a tough part for a lot of us because God is once again calling us into the worshiping of Him. But in this particular situation, He's showing us how worshiping Him means submitting to other people, and we hate that because we disagree with a lot of other people. It's a tough one to swallow. How does that make you feel when you hear those words? Now, there's kind of two sections to this conversation. He starts out with kind of like your secular governing structures of your society, their society, our society. And then he gets a little closer to home when he tells slaves to be obedient to their masters. Now, is this this a passage of Scripture that is condoning slavery? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact... um, First century Roman slavery was nothing like that wicked and godless thing that we know as American slavery. First century Roman slavery looked a lot different. As a matter of fact, for some people, to be enslaved in first century Rome was a pretty good gig. Now, there was definitely bad masters, I'm sure. There was definitely wicked people. That's the human disposition. Um, But most slaves had a pretty good setup. Uh, Most slaves in first century Rome were prisoners of war. That's how they got there. They were educated, they were given great opportunities for the families that they worked for. As a matter of fact, if you were a slave owner in first century Rome, chances are your slaves would have been your doctor, your lawyer, your accountant, the CEO of your family business, all right? It was part of the Roman culture at the time to give away as much of that as you could to people that were capable so you could be lazy as you could be. That's what it was about. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the a lot of, in, in many cases, the slaves became like family members. I mean, they were running the family business. They became like family members, just a part of the family in that culture. They they obviously didn't have their own rights, and there were certain rules and laws that surrounded slaves at that time. But it was a very different culture than what we. Understand. So when the Bible talks about slaves obeying your masters, it, it runs really, really close parallels to what we know of in 21st century American culture as employer to employee relationships. It was strikingly similar. And so here Peter is giving these folks direction on, hey, God has called us as a matter of worshiping him to submit ourselves to our governing authorities, but also the authority in your workplace, um, now, for you, um, you have an option that they didn't have. If you don't like your job, you can change it. But even still, you should be kind and gentle. What, what does verse 17 say? You should be honoring them. You should fear God. You should honor, honor the leaders, even if you're transitioning jobs, okay? But ultimately, if you're in the job you're in and you plan on staying there, honor them. Serve them as an act of worship to God. When it comes to honoring the emperor and the governing authorities of our land right now, some of y'all are saying amen and some of y'all are spitting fire right now. Some of y'all on TV is about to turn me off. Don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, does that make you feel uncomfortable to be told right out of the gate? You need to submit yourself to the governing authorities. Be submissive. To the governing, of th- I can tell you that's not what your culture is telling you to do, is it? You know the word that Peter chooses to use right there is a Greek word "hupatasso," which means not only to submit yourself in action. "Hupatasso" means to voluntarily line yourself up under. So it, that word is as much about attitude as it is action. In other words, that that passage could have just as easily had said, um, "Put yourself in the attitude of submission towards." Fill in the blank. Now, we don't like the sound of that. It doesn't feel comfortable for everybody in this conversation right now. But as uncomfortable as you may feel, imagine how they would have felt when they heard this for the first time. Listen, your situation in the 21st century of the U.S. of A. is nothing like it was for Christians in the first century of Rome who the emperor that they were being told to submit to was the Emperor Nero, who we've talked about over the last several weeks. He, he burnt three, three quarters of the city of Rome to the ground. He was martyring Christians by unbelievable numbers. They were being crucified in droves. They were being thrown into the Colosseum to be attacked by wild animals for sport so that everybody could watch in and enjoy it. Though Nero was burning Rome to the ground, he was blaming the Christians for it. Their martyred bodies were put on display in the city streets at night and lit a blaze to light the city. In addition to that, since three-quarters of the city had been burnt to the ground, Nero levied heavy taxes on the people in order to rebuild the city for his glory and his honor. It doesn't get any worse than that. That's a horrible, horrific situation to be in. And imagine going to the mailbox and finally seeing a letter from the Apostle Peter. The guy that walked with Jesus, walked on water even for a few seconds. Like, finally, a word of encouragement from one of the fathers of our faith. faith, And they open the letter and they read it. And Peter says, you need to submit yourself to the governing authorities as an act of worship to God. For the Lord's sake, he says. It's hard for you to swallow It was so much harder for them to swallow But that leaves us with the big question He's telling us to do it But the big question that resonates in our hearts Particularly those that have a hard time with that Is why, why? Why should I be submissive to a boss who's so disrespectful to me? Why should I be submissive to government that I didn't vote for? Why should I be submissive to policy that doesn't serve me and my family? Well, why? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? I need to to resist it. Well, Peter actually gives us three reasons why, and this will be the bulk of our conversation today. And if you're a note taker, you need to write these down because this this is definitely the big answer to the big why when it comes to submitting ourselves to those that God has placed in charge over us in our lifetimes. The first why shows up in verse 13 right there. I'll let you say it with me. Verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, Be subject, say it with me, for the Lord's sake. What does that mean? This is why it's so important for you to have been a part of the conversation or read Peter's letter up until this point. It was just two verses ago, before he even got into this, he says, beloved, don't forget, you're sojourners, you're exiles, God is calling you to live amongst the Gentiles honorably, but this is not your home. Like, you serve a higher king of a greater kingdom. This is not your home, you're just sojourners, you're just passers through. Don't forget that, keep that in sight, remember that your kingdom calling and your kingdom mission is something totally different than the world." It's telling you to do it, to telling you to believe. You're just sojourners. You know we we can learn a lot from our missionaries about this. Uh, missionaries, especially that do overseas, foreign, you know, foreign missions. As a matter of fact, it was about this time last year, Ansley and I spent a couple of weeks in the bush of Africa. Uh, it was about ten years ago. Ansley spent two months in the heart of the Amazon jungle, living off of a barge, like. When we were in Africa or when she was in the Amazon jungle for a couple of months, like we recognized that wasn't our home. We weren't there to change their policy. We weren't there to change the culture of their villages. We didn't mind the fact that we had to dress a certain way and eat certain foods. We didn't mind the fact that when we were in the presence of royalty and somebody of royalty was speaking that we couldn't just interrupt them, that we needed to wait until they were finished no matter how long that took until we could respond to what they were saying. We didn't mind because that's not our home. We knew we were about to saddle up our horse and head on back to Lake Placid eventually. We knew. We were sojourners. We didn't get tangled up in the lesser matters. You know why? Because we were there for the Lord's sake. I didn't care what clothes I had to wear for a while. Ansley didn't care that for a while she had to live off a jungle rat and jump rope with anacondas with village kids in the heart of the Amazon jungle. It was part of their culture, and we weren't there to change that. We were there to make disciples. See, in the American church, we lose sight of that so quickly because we've forgotten that we're just sojourners and exiles and we pour all of our energy, all of our time. Our social media platforms are saturated with us trying to change the culture instead of make disciples. We've forgotten the simple fact that the depravity of the human heart cannot be changed by changing legislation. It has to be changed with the gospel. You think laws and rules are going to fix people? Look at, look at communist countries. How well has that worked out? It doesn't fix the deeper places in us that are broken. The deeper places in us that are broken can only be rescued and healed by the good news gospel of Jesus. So what the Lord has done is he set apart for himself a people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Do these words sound familiar to anybody? that have been set apart as ambassadors for the kingdom purpose of God, that everything that we do is meant to, the job that you work in, the political party that you're in, the social reforms, issues that you're involved in, every single one of those avenues are meant to be a platform for you to be a disciple maker, to invite Jesus and invite people into Jesus and into a relationship with him. Like, don't get me wrong, Peter right here isn't telling us that we shouldn't be involved in politics or shouldn't be involved in social reform. Quite honestly, Christians should be involved in politics and Christians should be involved in social reform. But what we need to be reminded of in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that our motivation and our mission is different than everybody else. Our motivation is worship and our mission is the gospel. That's it. That's why we exist. That's why we delve into these really, difficult and polarizing conversations in the environment around us because we want to see people come to a life-saving, life-changing, culture-changing, world-changing faith in the Lord Jesus because we're here for the Lord's sake. We need to be reminded of that. I tell you what, King David, even back in his day, like he knew that King David even said in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, he says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, Some of y'all probably feel like, well, that's, that's, just, that's, that's too passive. That's too passive for me. I need to be a little more involved in that. I need to step beyond those boundaries. Well, trust me, submitting to governing authorities for the Lord's sake is anything but a passive pursuit. As a matter of fact, he goes on to give us the second reason why he has called us to be a people who are submissive to those who have been given charge over us. And the second thing that you see in verse 15, and verse 15 says, for this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God? All right, here's one of them. Here's what the will of God says. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now that sounds like fun. It's the will of God that by doing good, you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Yeah, I can kind of get behind that one. As a matter of fact, I know some of y'all have already appointed yourself as the president of the put to silence foolish people club. um, Because I can see that you, as you pollute the airwaves of social media and such, uh, you have already deemed yourself the one responsible for doing that. But notice the context of this. He says the will of God that by doing what? By doing good. You would put to silence the foolishness, the ignorance of people. What good is he talking about? Because I'm going to take some wild stab at the fact that you're so forward and so brash about the way you feel about certain things that you feel it's motivated by right and good things. So what does he mean by good? I mean, that's why you're passionate about it, right? Because you believe that what you believe is good. What does he mean by good here? Good in context. We got to keep it in context. Think about what we're talking about. Think about why he's saying what he's saying. He's telling us here that it's the will of God that by us doing good we will put foolishness and ignorance to silence. The good he's talking about here is willingly, worshipfully, sacrificially submitting to authority out of reverence to the Lord. That by doing that, it would put to to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, on its most foundational level, and there's a lot of layers to this. In other words, the bedrock bottom of that is be a law-abiding citizen and pray for your leaders. That's that's the found. That's step number one. How well are you doing at step number one? Some of y'all are all mad about wearing masks, but y'all sure didn't mind driving 55 and a 45 this morning, did you? Start with the bedrock. Be a law-abiding citizen. Pray for your leaders. That starts small, too. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your city leaders and county leaders. Pray for your national leaders. Yeah, believe it or not, pray for President Donald Trump. Some of y'all are like, yeah, you, you tell him. And some of y'all are like, I already changed the channel. <laughs> Don't stop there, though. While you're praying for President Donald Trump, you also need to be praying for... Joe Biden. I told you I'm an equal opportunity offender here at Grace Bible. Yeah, you need to be praying for him too. Here, here's why. Let me give you a 50,000 foot view of the political disposition of the US of A as of right now. We are all, if you are an American citizen, if you live in the US of A, we are all walking down the gangway about to board a plane. A plane that, by the way, is called 2021 to 2024. And one of those two dudes, barring an act of God, is going to be the pilot. And only a fool boards a plane praying for his pilot to fail. Hear what I'm saying? One of them two cats is stepping into the pilot seat, whether you love one, hate the other, don't like either one of them. The bottom line is we can all agree on the fact is that while we are on the plane, we do not want to crash. You know what the best way for the people of God to get involved in that? Is it news to you that the people of God should be praying for its governing authorities, whether you like them or agree with them or not? Because they are the ones that are flying the plane in the world that we live in right now, whether you like it or not. Pray for them. You know know why we need to pray? You You know what you need to be praying for those guys? Be praying that the Holy Spirit of God captures their heart in such a way that it transforms them and that they live lives of worship and submission to God. Pray for that. That their decisions... That the way they view people, the world, global politics, other national leaders is colored and saturated by the love that they have for the Lord. And the longing that they have to worship and honor God. Like that's what you need to be praying for, for both of them jokers. Because one of them is about to step in a pilot seat and that plane's about to lift off and you and me is going to be on it. So I want it to succeed. And I want it to be honoring to God. We submit to the Lord. We submit to governing authorities for the Lord's sake. But it's the will of God that we do good in order to silence those who are foolish, who are ignorant. Now, how does that? How does that equate? How does being a law-abiding citizen and praying for our leaders or being submissive to the governing authorities in our life? How does that equate to um, putting to silence ignorant people? Well, what it does—it's not going to shut them all up. Okay, that's just the world that we live in. But it definitely narrows the playing field for all that much less criticism to be heaped upon the people of God and the things of God and the ways of God. And remember, you're a sojourner. You're an exile. Yeah, we're here to get involved. We're here to be a part of what's going on. As Cameron preached last week, we're here to conduct ourselves among the Gentiles honorably, but ultimately, we submit to a higher purpose that we are kingdom people for the purposes of God. We are here to be disciple makers, Ultimately. Everything else is secondary. Yes, it's important, but ultimately, those things have to be sacrificed on the altar of being a kingdom disciple maker instead of the other way around that the American church does. And we sacrifice the mission of the kingdom of God on the altar of our political party. Catching the drift. See what he's saying. That's the second thing. It narrows the criticism that can be heaped on us. Because remember, like, we, we want to live honorable amongst the Gentiles because we want to see the Gentiles come into a saving faith with Jesus Christ. Because one day, this thing that we get so wrapped up in is not going to be here anymore, and it won't even matter. The only thing that matters 100 years from now is what you believed about Jesus. That's it. That's it. That's the second thing. Third thing, y'all are going to really like this one. This will be good and offensive. Just in case I had not got you at that point yet. Verse 16, it's the third reason why. He says, live as people who are free. Do you love your freedom as an American? Yeah, absolutely. For some of us, um, in such a politically charged season that we are in, we feel like some of our freedoms are being infringed upon. It's just, it's the reality of just kind of how things have been feeling lately. But look what he says. He says, live as a people who are free, but pay close attention. Don't use your freedoms, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants, doulos, slaves of God. Live as a people who are free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. This is a, this this is a difficult one for us because we have been hardwired and trained as people, especially Christian people, to spiritualize our preferences. I'll say that again for the people in the back. We've been hardwired, through society and culture, through the church, through sermons, to spiritualize our preferences, and without realizing it, some of us have begun to spiritualize our sins. In other words, we used our freedoms as cover-up for evil not even realizing it. We built a barricade around us and don't even realize we're there because we've become so proficient at spiritualizing our preferences, making everything that we agree with or disagree with some matter of God somehow. Now, some of that may be right and true. Some of it could be dead wrong, but you need to make sure that you know the difference. That's why I'm gonna give you this example. There's only a million and one examples of how we could use our freedoms as a means to cover up are evil Um, let me just give you a really broad example and trust the spirit to translate it into your everyday lives Um, here is here is my example Uh, especially in a time like this when things are difficult socially politically racially charged and the environment that we're living in like I see a lot of people responding as if they're operating under the umbrella of a righteous indignation or a holy anger you ever felt that way Has that ever been your justification to say a thing, do a thing, believe a thing, a holy anger, a righteous indignation, like you you feeling that? Well, that's a real thing, by the way. That is a real God-given thing to his people. The question is, is, are we misinterpreting that? Are we abusing that? Have we used our freedoms as a cover up for evil and have we just called it a holy anger? I would say you better be careful with that one because when you say you are operating from a righteous indignation or a holy anger, what you are declaring is you are operating as an ambassador of God and the way that you feel and what you are saying is exactly how a holy God feels about it. That's what you say when this is a When your motivation is a holy anger, like this is the way God feels about it and this is what God would say about it. And I've commissioned myself as the ambassador to let the world know. While there are times for that, you better be careful with that one. You wanna talk about using the Lord's name in vain. Let me give you three measuring sticks of how to know for sure. If what you're about to do or what you're about to say is truly motivated by a righteous indignation, a holy anger, as an ambassador of God, all right, measuring stick number one, you need to write this one down. Is it whatever it is? Is it motivated? Is it motivated by worship? Is it motivated by worship or is the underlying motivation your aggravation? Which of those gave you the courage to say the thing or do the thing? Is it a worshipful posture or is it because you just had enough and you're aggravated and it's your anger leading out? Listen, anger is not a sin. Scripture tells us that while you are angry, do not sin. You're going to be mad about whatever the thing is. That's why you're so passionate about it. Great. The question is, is your motivation worship? Is your motivation to lift up and to bring glory to God through saying the thing, believing the thing, doing the thing? Is motivation worship or is aggravation become your motivation? Which one? If it's a holy anger, motivation will be worship. Second thing is, is it, whatever it is, has it been infiltrated by prayer? Or has it just been infiltrated by the carousel of your opinion and frustration? Has it been infiltrated by prayer? Have you taken the thing that you are so passionate about, that, you have, that you've got a holy anger about, that you're going to say something about, that you're going to do something about to fix it? Have you taken that thing and laid that at the feet of the Father instead of making the assumption that because you are a Christian and because you feel a certain way about a thing, that that must be how God feels about it? Or did you take that thing and you collect all those emotions up and you lay it before the Father and you say, Lord, like this is how I feel about that, this is what I believe about that, this is wrong, I feel like I need to say something about this, I feel like I need to do something about this, Is it infiltrated with prayer? Lord, give me your eyes to see this. Give me your heart to know and understand this. God, how do you see this thing? How would Jesus respond in this situation, Lord? Bring it to the feet of the Father over and over and over again as you are working through whether to do the thing or to say the thing out of your holy anger. Is it motivated by worship? Is it infiltrated by prayer? And last but not least, how are you doing on the first two, by the way? Last but not least... Is it saturated, you like my alliteration there? All three of them, motivated, infiltrated, saturated. I did that just for y'all. Is it saturated by a love for your opponent, your enemy, your adversary that is so deep and so rich and so wide that if it came down to it, you would be willing to give up your own life so that they might live. Maybe that's physical life. Maybe that's just your own agenda. Is it saturated by a love for your opponent that is so deep, so wide? Your compassion for them runs so rich. That you, would be, that you would be motivated to even give up your own life so that they might live. Dustin, where'd you get these from? What Bible verses did that, that come out of? All of these come out of the life of Jesus. You, you know what? The fury of God on the wickedness of humanity. That's a holy indignation. You know what his response was? He got up off of his throne, he shed his royal robes, and he put on skin, and he moved into the neighborhood. And his name was Jesus. And he lived a perfect life as an act of worship to God the Father. And he oftentimes retreated in prayer to bring these things before the Father. We even have records of Jesus praying and what he was praying. And last but not least, you know what? His ultimate, his last straw for the wickedness of the world was he stepped into the story. He was so moved by compassion for his enemies. We were at enmity with God. We were at war with God. Literally. And he stepped into the story. And he gave up his life for a whole bunch of people that were going to reject him anyway so that those who would believe and trust in him might live. That's what a holy anger looks like. Has your thing been saturated, infiltrated, and motivated by the right things, by that of the heart of Jesus? Anything outside of that, if it doesn't fit these criteria, then you don't have a holy anger, you just have a bad attitude. You see the difference? See the difference? Maybe God's wanting to shape and transform you through the thing that you're so mad at. Maybe. Now, last but not least, here is the looming question of all is, like, are there any exceptions to this rule? I mean, are we supposed to just be, like, blind robots as we just blindly follow our governing authorities and our bosses and, like, Is there a back door at all that's still worshipful and honoring to God? Yes. Now you can exhale. Yes, of course. As a matter of fact, of all people to teach on that, Peter, the one telling us to do it, is also the one that told us in Acts chapter 529 that there are times we have to obey God rather than men. In situations like that, when the law of land requires us to disobey the law of God, Listen to what I'm saying. When the law of the land requires us to disobey the law of God, be careful with that. When, again, I'm telling you, you have become a master craftsman at spiritualizing your preferences. You're an artist. You can do theological acrobatics with the best of them. Is the law of the land requiring you to disobey the law of God? Now, we are constantly faced with compromise on very small levels, the smattering of those compromises in our life where the world that we live in, the country that we live in, the environment that we live in is begging us and requiring us to obey it instead of the law of God. But let me me just be as raw and as real as I can with you. If and when the day comes that the people of God are faced with having to choose between obeying the law of the land and obeying the laws of God, and there is a clear, stark contrast If and when that day comes, and it will eventually, there will be a great sacrifice to be had. It will cost you much to obey God over the law of the land. It will hurt. It will be hard. You will commit it to prayer. I guarantee you most of us are going to double pump the brake. We're going to be thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. Are, Are we sure that God's not okay with this? It is going to be big, and it's going to be significant, and it is going to be hard. It's not going to be this piddly thing we do now, just spouting off at the mouth and hiding behind our keyboard and telling the world what we think about them. There will be a price to pay so high to obey the law of God over the law of the land that it will cause some people to leave the faith. It ain't going to be this easy-peasy nonsense that we deal with right now. It's going to be real, and it's going to be divisive, and it's going to be earth-shattering, it's going to be transforming. So be careful about doing theological acrobatics around your preferences. And as people of God who are sojourners, who know that you have been appointed as ambassadors, worshipers of God, to declare to the world the good news of Jesus, I would encourage you in the way that the Word of God says that worship God By submitting to those that God has placed in authority authority over you. Until the day comes that their law requires you to disobey the law of God. Trust in him. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to be your God. I'm not smart enough to show you the way through all the stuff. These are the principles in God's word. You decide what you're going to do with it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you... um, would give great clarity to those who are grappling through some of this stuff in their life right now. Lord, that every single person in this room, life would be just saturated and motivated by worshiping the Lord and love for the people around them. That that is their driving force, that prayer is their weapon. And God, I pray that you would step into our story again, yet again, that you would step in and that you would make your name famous in the world around us, that you would bring our governing authorities to a place of contriteness in their heart, that their hearts would bow before King Jesus, that you, in fact, would be the leader of this great land that we live in, and that we, in fact, would be one nation under God again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.